0: For December 19th, 2016, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 442. Success has many Darth Vaders. Failure is an orphan. This is Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. We overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the Internet. We're a kind of uh, rebel alliance with respect to pop culture, and we gather to battle the forces of mediocrity and poor thinking uh, and to subject uh, all of these things to a level of scrutiny they don't deserve. And if you can't tell, we're talking about rogue one this week uh i'm your host matt rather and i have uh i have a uh, a panel of overthinkers a ragtag group of misfits each a rogue in his own right uh this is podcast leader podcast leader calling ben adams how copy the
1: podcast leader this is ben adams i read you five by five ah
0: uh, ben adams your uh, your question of the week what is your call
1: sign so I think I actually already have a call sign from my uh, my previous days in the Navy. Uh, I was Buckeye when I was uh, a boarding team leader. Uh, so I think I just got to go with that.
0: Excellent. I, we should have said we should have set some uh, set some rules. I might have I might have said it had to have a number in it on the model of on the model of Rogue <laughs> One. Uh, but an eye, you know, I don't know. I suppose an eye is a round shape. So you could be you know, the eye could be like uh, in place of a numeral or like Buckeye one or something like that, because we're using password rules. So your, your call sign has to have a number and a special character uh, in it. <laughs> anyway, uh, Buckeye, Buckeye. Glad to have you on board. Pete Fenzel What's your call sign? <laughs> so I've been
2: amused for a while that my last name, the, the first letter of my last name in military alphabet is a dance that I also learned how to do when I was in like seventh grade. So which it's just sort of a strange thing, right? That the military alphabet, I know there's a bunch of different classifications of it, has two dances in it, which is a lot of dances for 26 things that are going to represent letters in the military. Uh, and they're old-fashioned dances based on the time in which... The the alphabet was developed, I suppose. I guess maybe they were current references at the time. Of course, we talking about uh, tango and foxtrot, uh, so I would be foxtrot, and uh, because a, I, I enjoy foxtrot. I actually kind of prefer it to waltz. It's kind of nice to go into four. The people get a little confused in three. Still, it still feels a little bit stodgy. So it's nice to bust it out into into four every once in a while. Uh, yeah, and I guess I'd be foxtrot. Is it foxtrot five or foxtrot four? Foxtrot, because you want to have the alliteration. Um, I guess I'd be Foxtrot five. Sure. I think that would be, yeah. And I, that way everyone thinks I got four friends with me and I also paint giant eyeballs on my back. So people thought I was a lot larger than I was. Excellent. So a lot of deception involved.
0: <laughs> I like, I also like how uh, the last letter of your last name also could be like the numeral one in certain typefaces. So you could also be Fens one, but, uh, yes. but Foxtrot five is, yep. is certainly better. It rolls off the tongue a lot more tripping, uh, trippingly. All right. We got Buckeye and we got Foxtrot trot five uh go now to new york to mark lee mark what's your call sign
3: this is mixed emotion one reporting for duty i'm using <laughs> mixed emotion because um you know that crucial scene in rogue one spoilers by the way like a spoiler for rogue one um and that crucial scene where the pilot on the fly just comes up with a call sign for rogue one you know looks around and thinks a lot and he comes up spontaneously. Or you know, not so after some some thought, with something that really encapsulates the spirit of the crew, and you know, like uh, what uh, what he's feeling inside, and what kind of you know his his his, uh, his true uh, what he really wants to communicate out to the, to the rest of the world. Like he's a rogue. Uh, that's that. Therefore, that's his call sign. And so, mixed emotions is me because on one hand, I'm elated by the success of these new Star Wars movies, and on the other hand, I'm afraid that um, they're going to keep cranking them out and grind the franchise into into the into, into fine dust. Um, so that's why I am mixed emotions one. Um, but I'm reporting the duty right now, elated because Star
0: Wars is great. Yeah, it it certainly is. And anyone who knows me uh, knows that I could not resist the callback of making my call sign Police Academy Four. All right. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> let's jump right into uh, let's jump right into rogue one uh, after one uh, brief uh, reminder that you are in the final week of the overthinking it gift guide that's right uh, Christmas this year and the start of Hanukkah which coincides with it seems to be ideally positioned for delivery by the various courier services because you can get packages at your house all the way up through uh, Saturday the 24th but it's going to be increasing uh, increasingly expensive to do so with the shipping costs on all of your on all of your orders. So head on over to the gift guide at overthinkingit.com where the overthinkers have helpfully provided you with links to various kinds of cool things uh, that you can order on Amazon uh, along with explanatory essays delightful in their own right as to why these gift guides are perfect for you or for the overthinkers in your life. In addition to that, as a surprise, we dropped a new overview, an alternative commentary track that you can buy and download from us at Overthinking It on Star Wars: The Force Awakens, the seventh installment in the uh, the canonical um, narrative of uh, of Star Wars. Now that we have the anthology narrative, I guess we have to distinguish between those and the various extended universe type uh, narratives that are that are going on. Uh, but it is Episode Seven, and we uh, we watched it and uh, recorded as we were watching it a commentary track. And if you buy it and play it. Back alongside uh, your own copy of the movie that you own, because of course you do. Uh, it'll be like you're watching Star Wars: The Force Awakens with the various overthinkers, and that's uh, you know that's a fantastic thing. In addition to that, um, if you get The Force Awakens overview, you can also get our original trilogy overviews for a discounted a uh, a discounted price. You can get them together for only 7.99. I think that's actually what the uh what the the original trilogy box set cost by itself. So it's like if you get it's like getting uh getting The Force Awakens for free. Um and that's uh and and that's not all. In that box set is a special bonus podcast about the original trilogy of Star Wars movies. So it's like complete.
3: The, 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 the bonus podcast is about the prequels.
0: Yeah, yeah. The uh, sorry, uh, sorry. The original in time, uh, the, the secondary in uh, in release. Uh, how do you even? How do you even talk about it? The canonical prequels um, is what I mean to say. And so you get complete Star Wars coverage uh, for only seven ninety nine, dollars 99 and that is, uh, that is nothing to laugh at this holiday season. Head to overthinkingit.com and check out the gift guide there. Thank you very much for using our gift guide every year and supporting Overthinking It. All right, let's dive in. Um, this title, uh, Rogue One, I, I want to ask you, Pete, who... who- is Rogue 1. I know it's the call sign. Uh, but but who is the first the original the primary the the most important Rogue to you? In I mean, other uh, than
2: Jack Bauer, I yeah. mean in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of that as a, as a Jack Jack time traveling Jack Bauer went to a galaxy far far away. So <laughs> when we saw, we remember the commercials and trailers for this movie, right? And and the trailers and commercials made it seem like Jin the female protagonist, was going to be I described it as a Mel Gibson in a world of Danny Glover's, right? Where she's going to be like you're you're off the you're off the reservation, right? Or like, you know, you got to bring me your badge and your gun, Jin. you know, you're off the case. And she's like, I get results, right? Um there's that line that everybody responded to really positively which was this is a rebellion, I rebel, right? Is what she said in the I don't think that appeared in the movie, it right? It did not. It did not. No, it did not. Which is interesting because everyone was ready for this to be a very pat sort of like Oh, it's like it's like brave, right? Where it's like, oh, she's she's a female protagonist, but she's gonna rebel against society's expectations of her, and and she's gonna rebel against the empire, and even the rebellion won't be able to handle her because she'll be too much. And that's not the movie, like at all, right? That's totally different. I, I think it's, I think it's there a little bit, but we'll yeah, keep going, Pete. But it's one out of many, right? So it's one out of many, and and it, it, when thinking about it, I had to think: Is there anybody in the movie who isn't a rogue? A rogue defined as somebody who is who is not following the rules that they're supposed to follow, right? Somebody who is kind of out for their own interest and, and is, uh, or at least, or some principle of them theirs that's different from the principle of the people in charge of them. But like. You know, the whole, you know, Mon Mothma and Jimmy Smith's are rogues, right? Like Tarkin and the chief engineer of the Death Star, right? The director of the Death Star, they're engaging in this personal squabble that has nothing to do with what the Empire wants them to do, right? All the rebels are are each in and of their way defying everybody else, right? Like, Like I feel like this is a movie in which everybody is a rogue. Everybody is a rebel. Everybody is – I guess it makes the distinction Look, between plenty- being a rebel – yep.
1: Let me propose one. I think I don't think Darth Vader is a rogue in this movie. He's <laughs> he's he's the man. Like he, he's he's, the, man. he's the, the stern voice of authority.
2: I, I it's interesting Flash to lightsaber. think but Darth Vader it's funny because Darth Vader is the institution because he's the only person who can act alone with the force of an institution, right? Like, he, he comes to town, and it's like the whole IRS pulled up on your front stoop, right? Like, <laughs> like in other movies, it would take the entire FBI to take out a hallway like that. But Darth Vader just does it himself. Um, so I guess, so. And, and, but Anakin Skywalker is a rogue, right? Like, like Darth Vader is a rogue Jedi who left the Jedi and now murders all of them. But I guess now, let's not moi, Right uh
0: as it were well no that that means the vampire is me but uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh <laughs> I guess. let's some
3: him <laughs> although there is a house on the e there so i guess that uh, implies an s that was yeah. dropped uh, somewhere in the evolution of the french language but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about rogue one who is not a rogue in this movie aside from darth vader no, oh, that's a good question. I'm just gonna kind of looking at the list of characters here. K2SO, the robot. He's a good rogue, actually. You know, he oh, doesn't yeah. just, he doesn't obey his orders. He was um, an imperial droid.
2: and Now he's not anymore. Uh, okay.
3: yeah, he was an imperial droid. He converted, but then you know the, the captain tells him to stay on the ship. He doesn't stay on the ship. Uh, Saul Guerrero, right for the general there. He was like, you know, he he was a rebellion from the rebellion as well. He went too rogue. He was too extreme with a capital X. He's, he's a rogue no, square. The yeah. he's
1: he's because he's, he's he's a rogue from the rogues
3: yeah right. I mean, I, earlier you were sort of ratting off characters, I think like Mon Mothma and and Bail Argana are less roguish, like they do represent the institution and uh and they don't outwardly exhibit roguish characters, but they do take advantage they take uh, the benefits of the rogues um and, and then uh, institutionalize them. so in that regards, they are less roguish than the rest of the right characters. if
0: you ben- if you benefit if you benefit passively from roguish behavior, does that make you uh roguish? I mean, that is to say, can you be a, a can you be roguish but not a rogue? You know, well, uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> but also my Mothma and Jimmy Smiths have that conversation where they decide to send Princess Leia rogue, right, to, to get the plans and bring them to Obi-Wan Kenobi. And they have that sort of secretly and they don't tell it to anybody else, which is itself sort of Jack Bowerly. And it's and it's I guess they're more like Buchanan ish. Right, like uh, I guess is the who's your canonical? We'll talk about canonical CTU directors another time, but uh, but yeah, the, <laughs> it, it, I guess it's it's funny when when the most when the most when the people who are seen as the most institutional are the members who, of the of the institutional government who are funding an open rebellion against the government that they represent. <laughs> like those are the people who are like the establishment, right? Are the people who have a fleet that's blowing up their boss? Well, it's, right, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, that, uh, it's it's sort of interesting right it's sort of interesting like that how easy it is to misappropriate military hardware in in this on both sides really on both on the the empire uh rebel alliance divide like how how easy it is to to sort of commandeer at least if you're Tarkin you have to be like the supreme commander of of uh all of these forces you know it's it's pretty easy for a scrappy scrappy band of misfits to like uh um what does he say? Take everything that's not nailed down? Uh, that That is, I don't know, that surprised me anyway. Uh, maybe not you.
3: Wait, remind me of the context of... Uh, Moff Tarkin said that? And, uh, of whom? No. Uh, Diego Luna's character, Cassian Andor, is that yeah, you're referring uh, to? Uh, oh,
0: Cassian. Cassian! Cassian says when he is uh forming the band of when he's forming the band of rogues who are going who are going to go uh and he has that sort of uh, uh what uh jin comes out of the the alliance senate or council meeting and uh has been turned down by them and he's standing there with all of his all of his people when he prepares them to go on the mission he says take everything that's not nailed down right they're like looting a uh, okay. they're they're looting this Installation for um, everything that they everything that they can get to take on on the the rogue mission um, with them. You know, at least in the Empire, you have to be the guy in charge to bend the the you know to bend the machinery of war to your will.
2: Well, there just was such a surplus of everything. I mean, one thing this movie, I mean, we'll we'll talk about this more later, obviously, but the movie does uh, reference and connect with the prequels in ways that other movies haven't. And uh, others like Force Awakens didn't. But one of the senses in this movie is that the time of sort of great technological surplus was very much in the past. Right, and we are amid the ruins of the Republic where there's just stuff lying around, right? Like pieces of Jedi statues and you have the sense that Watto's shop has been strewn to the wind at some point and there's like just Sabulba is scrounging for pod racer parts. Unless Saboba died which I forgot because he's not a significant character but um but but the point the point being that rogue one doesn't mean in the context of this movie as the title there is one person who is the rebel who starts the who like lights the match that creates the rebellion right like that's so, not what what rogue one means
1: right so is, is that a description of the movie it's the rogue
2: one the rogue one as in like, like this, this is like the rogue is star the, wars this movie this is the rogue movie yeah exactly mm, interesting
0: yeah or I yeah, like that. or like uh, many years ago, a prophecy was foretold that there would be a rogue one. And <laughs> it's like it's like a it's like a chosen one, but the chosen one says, "I'm not chosen. I'm going rogue." <laughs> you know? and, Wild uh, card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't count on me. F your expectations. Uh, but that's not. I mean, that, I, I suppose that that's what. I suppose that that's what uh, happens from the point of view uh, of uh, the the alliance, but you know from the point of view of her own character, Jin is talking about sort of being uh being true. Uh, Jin is talking about being true to herself, and she has that that uh, conversation with Cassian um, about following orders versus sort of following yourself. But I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, let's talk about the uh, the rebels here, because like they, like the heroes, are seem to be a, a scrappy band of of misfits uh, fighting amongst themselves and unable to kind of agree on even the basic principles of what they're there to do. Like it's it seems like they want to make all the decisions by consensus which seems pretty inefficient uh, in the face of a ticking clock like uh, like the threat of the like the threat of the death star and the this organizational structure leaves leaves them uh, prey to a number of collective action problems which is why I guess you need people to go uh, why you need to uh, people to go rogue but is there I mean do, do does anything new come to our understanding of the rebel alliance uh, especially in the the original trilogy which is the the uh, uh episodes 4 5 and 6 chronologically like do you feel do you feel like we have more perspective on the rebels uh given what we've seen in rogue one
1: I think we we understand now why it was called the rebel alliance in the first place because in the original trilogy they're relatively well organized into kind of a single command structure like by the time we catch the rebels in episode four and certainly by episode six there's like seems to be a pretty clear chain of command and everybody kind of knows their role so it's not really clear why it's an alliance at that point but i think this movie shows that there's a variety of disparate groups that have their own interests in rebelling against the empire and they're kind of coming together to form this alliance against the empire yeah and they haven't even brought all their groups in like they haven't brought saw guerrera and his you know extremist rebels into the fold yet uh, so that yeah. this is showing off the alliance part of the rebel alliance
3: yeah did this make anyone else think of the syrian civil war and the different opposition groups that are arrayed against the assad regime and uh, at times are fighting against each other or maybe sure. was just me a,
2: a, lo- a lot of different kinds of civil. i mean it remind me of the american revolution where the northerners and the southerners had very different attitudes about things right and different blocks had different ideas but yeah it felt a lot like the middle east too obviously with the improvised explosive devices and there are definitely a lot of of References to contemporary warfare and politics, yeah, Uh, which added a certain groundedness to this movie that the other Star Wars movies generally don't have because they seek to be more fantastical, I suppose.
0: Yeah, sort of Uh more like their, their significance comes from a kind of mythological force. Yeah. Uh, Like they, they tap up, right? They're like, their uh, power line goes up to like the, you know, mythological force that unites us all and not sort of down to the events of, of the, uh, the events of the everyday world. And this one definitely had that and, and had some kind of moral, uh, moral questions that I think, uh, we are facing, um, things about, you know uh, uh, things about the sort of the morality of certain kinds of rebellion or or certain kinds of tactics in war, uh, intervention, right? Like, uh, can we get involved? You know, who do we have to convince in order to get involved? Is the right, you know, um, uh, that that we're right? Like, these are questions that this film asks specifically, and they're questions for our time, right? Yeah,
2: I mean, Forrest Whitaker. This movie is a lot more like El-Sadr than the Ewoks are like the Viet Cong. <laughs> right <laughs> like ewoks are several levels of abstraction removed from the viet Cong. <laughs> like we uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, more, like, more like the viet cute am i right <laughs> Oh, yub, <nub>. <laughs> <laughs> yub uh yub nub anyway i mean what uh what uh what then about the what then about the bureaucracy right of the empire right like what why i i sorry i gave away my hand there i i i am uh, like am seeing the empire in this portrayed as a sort of rank as a sort of day to day bureaucracy rather than as being a you know singular malevolent force a kind of evil um A kind of evil empire. It's more a, uh, an officious empire. It's more a, uh, uh, you know, a callous empire. Um, and, and, uh, that's the, you know, that's the sort of tragedy of it rather, rather than being, being sort of uniquely bad. I mean, same, same question about the empire. Do we have a new perspective? Not just because of the infighting between the two, uh, the two people, the chief engineer of the Death Star and, uh, Tarkin who can't get along with one another but but um also because the way certain other things are portrayed uh throughout the um throughout the film
2: certainly we haven't had a character like i just want to call him hannibal (laughs) but uh uh the the scientist uh of course the guy that everyone's trying to save the whole time um uh is is uh is him being a the guy the idea that the guy who built the death star is a good guy right is, is different, right? This idea that the Empire, because I, I, when I think back to the first three movies, I mean, again, a lot of this stuff has been trodden over in the extended universe, but we're doing it over, right? We've struck out the extended universe, and the extended universe is now an opportunity to sort of pick and choose what stories we want to tell. But I, I think back to, you know, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and I don't remember anybody in the Empire – there were definitely people in the Empire who sort of threw shade at the commanders and were like, oh, you know, this is, this is such a waste of our time. This is so stupid, right? Like, uh, hey, oh, he's just going to murder me. Why did I take this job, right? Uh, but I don't remember anybody being like in, in sort of secret defiance to what the Empire wanted to do. Certainly the idea that the Death Star's flaw was engineered by an Imperial dissenter. Uh, While it it helps, a lot of the things in this movie are like this where it makes sense, right? Like it makes sense and it, it helps fill a gap that previously existed. But let's not pretend that that filling was always there, right? Like, let's not pretend that when we watched New Hope the first time, oh, it wasn't it wasn't it. We, they just didn't tell us that there was a secret Imperial scientist uh, who who left a secret flaw in the Death Star, right? Like the flaw in the Death Star was believed to be mostly an accident, right? But here we give it a purpose. We fill up. We flesh it out. Um, but just the the idea that do you kill the Imperial scientist who designed the Death Star because he has you know because of his arguments about well they would do it without me that kind of thing. Right. I mean I don't know. Mark yeah, what do you think about yeah, that?
3: Yeah, it speaks to the, the the moral dilemmas that are uh, that are present in this movie, right? You know, uh, Jin Erso, the scientist, he has this moral dilemma. Do I uh collaborate and try to, you know, like sneak this design flaw in or do I just resist and let it be built without you know uh w- without my help and potentially without this very slim chance to do it but just to to suit to loop back to episode four for a second Tri- um, trivial well
0: trivial well actually it's galen erso galen who's sorry the, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah no yeah right Jin, Jin, be the daughter galen erso be the scientist yeah but to loop back to episode four for a second right um what we see the act of destroying the death star is not you know uh, is is all it's part exploiting you know this this weird quirky flaw there but it's also like essentially magic Right. You know, the, the use of magic and, and no more seriously, you know, the use of the force. Um, you know, they chosen, so seriously, one, only
2: chosen one. Seriously it's not magic. Seriously it's the force.
3: Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Only the the, the 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 special force user can exploit the flaw. Um so that's a big deal. Although difference we have a lot there. of special forces in this movie. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, I think we'll circle back to talk about the force in just a second, but to get back to this idea of like, what do we see about the empire? How does it work? Um, like, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what we see with the, for lack of a better word, office politics going on between Orson Krennic, uh, Krennic, the engineer, of the Death Star and Grand Moff Tarkin. Right. I guess this, the more uh, higher up in the game. Grand yet. Yeah. He, he gets made uh, Grand Moff in like the subsequent several right, days, I think. Yeah. yeah. Tarkin, who <laughs> is uh, – is I guess more of a political player rather than just just the, just the project manager um, who comes in and steals credit for the Death Star. Um, uh, does someone have a better recollection of what exactly the sort of the, the summary of the plot arc between Krennic and Tarkin was, and can just
2: kind of like uh, quickly encapsulate that here? I can I can give you a tiny bit of background too, right? And this. Sure. So before the movie came out, the director recommended in an interview that there was one scene to watch to better understand the movie. And it was the scene where Darth Vader goes to the meeting and chokes General Tog and and yells and talks to everybody. The weekly Death Star Uh, operations check-in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And the idea is that the Death Star exists because the Emperor wants to dissolve the Senate, right? And the emperor wants to dissolve the senate so he doesn't have to answer to them at all, although he's got them under lock and key. He knows he can't control them forever. But there are these other institutions called the regional governors that are mentioned in the first movie. And the regional governors are going to be the new governing infrastructure for the galaxy. But the regional governors don't have the kind of on-the-ground institutional knowledge and support that the senators do and as we've seen from the other movies some of the senators are royalty some of them are for powerful families presumably some of them are elected in fair and open elections i don't think we ever see any of those right but uh some some of them are idiot gunkans who are just Yeah, some of them are are, are, yes some of them are are, hey take that take that uh, back he He is is the he is he is
0: the best his people have to offer he is the best and the brightest among the gunkans uh don't you dare defame my boy jar jar
2: I mean, he understands the Symbian Circle because somebody explained it to him, right? <laughs> uh, he, he was the best of us, indeed, which was why he voted the Emperor emergency powers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, but the idea that Grant. So they clarify in this movie that Tarkin, at this point, is a governor, right? Not a Grand Moff yet. Uh, and that means that he's part of the power grab that's associated with the Death Star. Now, they don't get into this much in the movie, but the notion is that when the Death Star is fully operational, then, although fully operational is more of a return of the Jedi term, but when it starts fully operational, Grand Moff Tarkin will effectively become one of the most powerful people in or governor. Tarkin will become one of those powerful people in the empire. Right. And so he has a vested interest in the Death Star.
0: And, but, then, and then the other regional governors will fall in line because fear will keep them in line. Fear of this battle station. Exactly. Exactly.
2: And, and he
1: also has an interest in being seen as the Death Star guy. Right. Because if the Death Star is basically the new base of power for the Empire, then the guy who is in charge of the Death Star and has the personal loyalty of the Death Star crew is basically the de facto, you know, number two in the Empire because that that's where all the power comes from. Right.
2: And so Tarkin endeavors upon a a plan to to depose the military director of the Death Star project who's more of a kind of civil servant, military, not civil servant. He's a, is he, is he military science? He's more of just a military guy, right? Like, like a He's military his director. It's just not okay. exactly clear,
3: but that's why I refer to him as the project manager. You know, the guy who keeps the okay. Gantt chart updated. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, a, so, he's, in, he's
1: like an SES level employee of like the Department <laughs> of Defense, as opposed to a uh, admiral or general.
0: It's right. right I mean, right. it's funny. Like, there's, you know, I don't know. It's really hard to manage engineers, right? Like, <laughs> uh, it's very. I mean, it's very difficult because they they. It's a unique culture, and they don't necessarily respect someone who's uh, who's not one of their own. I'd call him a product owner. Right. In, current, <laughs> you know, in current product Our development, man,
2: it's even harder to sniper rifle them from across a canyon during a race. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so
1: one what, one part that's, I think, important to understand about this relationship is Tarkin is basically using the leak of this information to undermine and get rid of Krennic. Which is which is interesting. He's using it essentially like as a you know a, a noose to hang or an, or an anchor to hang around his
0: neck. When you say leak the, of the information, you mean the pilot's defection, right? Not the leak right. that so, happens at the end, because I'm not clear he's he actually knows that's happened.
1: Correct, and I don't think he particularly cares. I mean, <laughs> in, in the sense that he's primarily using this whole incident with the shuttle captain as a way to discredit Krennic. Then he is actually worried about the consequences of. That shuttle pilot defecting and that doesn't go very well for him but you know that's that's where his priorities are yeah
2: yeah <laughs> i always love his his line from the from a new hope evacuate in our moment of triumph <laughs> it's such a such a great summation of grandma tarkin's character uh for him to do that in that situation
3: there's uh, an, a line that i'm recalling that tarkin says um when he's, like, basically stealing the Death Star from Krennic, where he says, like, you know, I'm going to take control of this battle station, which I – you know, the idea for which I came up with many years ago. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure if uh, he was just making that up on the spot or if he had actually come up with the idea for the Death Star um, and using that as the thin veneer for legitimacy for his power grab.
0: Well, I think that if he was – the the, has-
2: yeah
3: success has many Darth Vader's and failure is an orphan
2: (laughs) I think it's been demonstrated that coming up with the idea for the Death Star is the single most common thing that ever happens in the Star Wars universe (laughs) <laughs> wait un- un- unpack that a little bit <laughs> well everybody's like hey what should we do we should make a giant planet blows up other planets oh there and it's, the emperor comes up with it <laughs> and then they grant skull the tobacco chewing evil leader in force awakens comes up with the same but wait, idea but wait what if this
1: time we used <laughs> wait for it a giant laser beam
2: Oh a giant laser beam. What is that special crystal? Magic force crystals in it.
0: This is uh this is whimsical, but I was actually hoping the one reactor uh ignition of the, you know, of the giant laser beam would actually be the um you know would actually be the the just one of the many lasers that form the cone that converge on the thing mm-hmm. would be like one laser that points diagonally and then uh, inexplicably shifts you know 120 <laughs> degrees or something and uh, and you know points in the or i guess uh 180 minus 120 60 degrees and then points to uh, uh to wherever it's shooting so that only one side of the you know one side of the stream was uh was activated but no it was the full it was the full triangular. Uh, it was the full triangular shape, which leads me to my theory that I mentioned on our podcast for Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Our uh, overview, which is that um, Star Wars is about round shapes. And triangular shapes. (laughs) It's about circles and triangles. And oh boy, does this uh, does this movie um, seem to be about circles and triangles, right?
3: But but before we leave the topic of uh, the Kranich versus uh, Tarkin uh, rivalry, I I do want to point out and make sure that we're all on the same page on this. That the last uh, one of the last scenes we see that you know Tarkin basically decides you know rather than use. The Death Star to shoot at the rebel fleet who I, I think he is aware that they stole the plans instead of doing that. It's like, oh, Vader will take care of them. And I'm going to instead use the Death Star to kill Krennic, to nuke him from orbit. Right. I mean, is that is that too simple yeah. of a way to describe it? Yeah, I mean, the the, fi-
0: the the fig leaf that he puts on it is that like w- this will be a demonstration of the power of this uh uh, of this base to the rebel alliance and this will scare them off and they'll all kind of run back to their corners and will uh, will break the alliance right like this is a this is a sort of grand theater uh about how you know about how powerful the the empire is now at least that's what i t- that's how i read his um his you know overt justification of what what he's trying to do was that i mean that seems right right
1: See, I, I thought that he at least knew that the rebels were after the plans, and he figures he's just going to get rid of the plans so that the rebels can't have
2: them. And, and as all a the... byproduct of that, also kill Krennic. Right. I, I definitely saw killing Krennic as, like, his chief motivation <laughs> and everything else is complications. But this is – I
3: mean, especially, yeah, but... especially as Krennic, like, looks up, you know, oh, yeah. regains consciousness and sees the Death Star training upon uh, his location. I think that was, yeah, pretty clearly telegraphed. <laughs> The, yeah, a, a, beautiful, a beautiful moment by the way. Like Gareth Edwards and his ability to visually telegraph uh storytelling moments uh is 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 to be commended for sure. And
0: and, and the the uh round shape the circular shape of the death star rising like a like a giant moon <laughs> in the sky as the triangular shape of the convergence of of laser beams um, you know uh, right shoots towards shoots towards him as he lays on the as he lays on the beach i mean tropical beach if you're gonna go a tropical beach is not the worst place in the world to go just throwing that out there um. That it's uh, you know yeah. that you know as a it's, final resting place. It's uh, it's a
3: shame that the, the empire just had to like, use that uh, wonderful beachfront property as a research and data storage installation rather than you know uh, resorts, right? <laughs> yeah, there's
1: there's an there's an engineering like uh, you know. Data guy who just pulled a big one over on the Empire. Like, I got a great planet to build your new data center. Right. It's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, if I have a house that's conveniently located on site, then you know that that'd be okay too. Oh, right? yeah. It's
3: also very warm there, right? And so you need extra air conditioning to cool down the data center, right? Didn't Facebook uh, make a data center in like uh, somewhere in Scandinavia because it's so cold there? They don't have to spend I, extra. I interpreted
1: they had the big waterfalls like in a big circle around the thing, so they were. I, think, I was assuming. I was assuming they were using that for cooling.
0: The natural – yeah, the same way that on the Darth Vader planet, they use lava – just to, to you know provide a lovely water feature. There's a there's a nice lava fall. <laughs> Just for
3: ambiance. Um, no, it's, like it's, it's, it's the heat. Darth Vader's bath, his healing bath,
2: right? By the yeah. way, when we were watching this movie, we we watched it in the middle of the afternoon, and we had a bunch of kids behind us. And when the explosion goes off, uh, and when the Death Star hits the planet, and you see Jin and Cassian or K- Cassian uh, uh, embracing as like the 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 shock wave comes toward them, one of the kids said like very audibly that's how you're gonna end it they're all gonna die (laughs) <laughs> like like just disgusted just like so disappointed that, that was how like they're not gonna get a sequel yeah <laughs> this is what is this garbage and <laughs> these love love toward rebels who are from tough backgrounds and never believed in anything briefly fighting each other before being killed together in a fight what is this crap <laughs> like give me they at least should escape or heist something or oh come on yeah you ever heard of a happy ending jelly and up a little bit. Jolly it up a little. That's what Frank Sinatra said about having yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Can you jolly that up for me a little bit, please? It's too
0: sad. It is well it is. If you watch uh, I think it's in what, Meet Me in St. Louis, right? Like it is. It's a very sad song when uh it's when, a super sad song. Yeah, when Judy Garland is kind of sitting in the window and and singing it um well uh, i mean it's unmistakably a star wars movie but it's also it's it's sort of it's 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 a new kind of thing and i mean that it has its own sort of it has its own characteristics one of them is is sort of the role of the force i guess because the force i don't know we've we've sort of gone through several iterations of what the force is like in uh in the the original trilogy the prequel trilogy where it's midi-chlorians and, and whatever um and then in in force awakens where there is there is this kind of uh it's a kind of innate virtue that some people just have it's a kind of aristocratic virtue that some people have by uh, by dint of their birth here Um, and I mean, this is, this is actually like, it's akin to, I want to connect a couple things up here. Here, the force seems like a religion, right? It seems like a sort of meditation, mantra, you know, based kind of, uh, kind of religion with prayers and, and faith, you know, like faith qua faith, um, and not faith qua like uh, superior ability, innate superior ability that you just have to kind of realize that you have um, the faith in a in a higher power. Um, and the, and it seems to be like this would be how you know the people in Star Wars who who believe in the Force, who aren't, you know, Force deniers or who aren't Force secularists, right, um, relate to the Force much in the same way that, like, the the we see kind of dissent among the rebels um, and uh, Forrest Whitaker is not, you know, Forrest Whitaker is not happy with how the rebellion is being run. And so you have this kind of, you have this sort of larger universe in which there's room for a lot more perspective uh, on, on the rebels and people don't care about the rebellion and the the informant who cassian shoots early in the movie which i think is supposed to make us realize that he you know he has done bad things for the cause um he's you know uh, that guy is sort of like look i'm not totally on board with this rebel thing, and the 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 empire is a good job and the uh all, all this stuff like and, and with the empire, there seems to be more of a range of opinion and more of a range of moderate opinion there's more right like it's it's a sign uh, to a certain extent it's a sign of of like a mature worldview uh the extent to which you can tolerate as a viewpoint on any ultimate question meh." You know, and uh, this is a film with a lot of meh and one of the things that seems a little bit meh uh, is is the force, which like some people are are really into some people use as a slogan and a badge of good luck, and some people aren't uh, aren 't into as well. I mean, is there anything we can in, uh, into as much? Is there anything we can say about the force as religion? Is there anything we can say about this new perspective we have from this new group of characters about the force? I'm sure there are many things we can say about yeah, it. Sure. Would I mean, someone uh, like Mark, to jump in? I know in?
2: you were particularly interested in this topic. I mean, I could always kick into it.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I was really in particular struck with uh, the,
3: the the Donnie Yen character, a right? Imwe. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Right? Um his his devotion to it as someone who's who is uh, ostensibly at least not force sensitive, but still like his devotion to it gives him power. Is it? Um, it, it I drew a lot of parallels between that and Catholicism. Um, where sort of like you know the the laity um, through extreme devotion and like you know repeating prayers a lot um, you know even though they're not let's say Catholic priests who have not you know uh, uh, like uh, consecrated themselves to uh, the holy life let's put it that way you can still derive a lot of power from uh, from from the religion from from the supernatural um, so I, I think it's it's tapping into that um, but the, to Matt's point if I'm reading this correctly uh, I don't know if I would if I would say like it's meh in the way that, like, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, um, it's what's what's the word? Like dispassionate or so about it. It's just me in the sense that, like, you know, you can be a range of different. You can have a different range of sensitivities, or ranges of feelings, ranges of ways of interacting with these very complicated concepts, or which previously were just like in you know, very polar, like believe or don't believe. Um, now there's all sorts of different uh, degrees within it. So. Uh, I guess that's kind of my my entry point into that. It uh it diversifies and complicates the force, but also democratizes it and makes it open to more people. Um so uh I like I like that shading of it, that that opening up of it. But uh I think Pete uh earlier you're talking about how potentially this like really kind of fundamentally changes the way of the force. Did
2: yeah. That's I, mean, going on? I, I definitely I felt for, for one thing, one thing that I always had kind of an issue with in the in the way that the canon has kind of created itself over the years or been created is that it's expressed in the first star wars movie and that same scene right which is the most important scene to watch before watching rogue one that the other imperial officers don't think of the force as a thing that is important or exists right <laughs> like it's like oh it's your old religion oh you and your crazy old religion Whereas, like the amount of years that has passed since the old republic was in sort of full glory is like 15 years right like these, these these guys could have met mace windu if they were on the right assignment right uh and and uh and you know you can't meet mace window and just be like yeah the world's a pretty normal place there's samuel L. jackson with a purple lightsaber running around flying and, and fighting lightning bolt people but like other than that everything's pretty standard um but but this really framed and reframed the force as something that was beyond the scope of what most people experience in an everyday life, right, in their everyday lives. And I think by pulling it out of the movie and out of the universe, they really made it feel so much more important, right, and so much more powerful, right, and that the Force feels so much stronger in, in when Donnie Yen is walking out into the field right and he's he's walking in the field and he's chanting and everybody's trying to kill him and and you don't know why they don't shoot him right like is it is the force to it's not like the force is deflecting the bullets but it's just like they're the blaster bolts they just don't hit him right um and the idea that this is something you might only see a couple times in your life and you might not really understand or believe why it happens Right. Like if you're just a sort of run of the mill uh, person somewhere in this in this galaxy and and all this stuff, uh, it certainly makes, you know, in Force Awakens, Ray considering Luke Skywalker to be a myth, seem like a more reasonable sort of opinion for a person to have, whether it's reasonable for her to have or not. It's another thing altogether. But but just this idea of like and I think it combines with everything we've talked about up to this point where we've talked about how. Being a rogue is not special, like being against the rules is not special. Everybody is against the rules to one extent or the other. There's tons of conflict on every side. Everybody is either playing a game or trying to run something or just struggling to get by against a system that doesn't really work for them, right? And the people who are good are not that good. And the people who are bad are not that bad. And and, and and that when Matt says meh, that's what I think he's saying. He's he's not saying that he's indifferent or that the movie is indifferent. It's that there's there's just it's in the gray area, right? It's it's that we don't have people who are hugely representative of these like purities of notions. Yeah, it's right? it's
0: it's tolerance of ambiguity that, that I, I was trying to evoke with right my... tolerance
2: of ambiguity rather than apathy. Yeah, right. Um, well, with and, my and, meh. And, and just think what this does. And we get to see some of it, right? Think what this does to people who come into this universe and are actually Jedi, right? Like actual an actual Jedi. I mean, like Donnie Yen's character, where we come to believe maybe he was a Jedi and he's not anymore or he like worked at the temple. And so he was kind of overlooked by the genocide squads, right? By the Order 66 and all that, right? Like maybe he's sort of half Jedi, we don't really know. Um, but but imagine what an actual Jedi showing up in, in these kinds of situations would be, right? And of course, they yeah. don't show us that, right? Like the girl with the with a lightsaber jewel necklace doesn't turn out to be the Jedi. We don't get to see what happens when a Jedi shows up. Okay, we see what sure happens when a Sith shows up. but Yeah, yeah we actually, get to see what happens when a Sith shows up. When a Sith shows up, move- it goes down. It freaking goes down. It is terrifying. I mean, I, I'll stop talking and let everybody weigh in on this because it was so amazing, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, this this movie would actually, I think, have worked really well as maybe not the first in the the franchise, but like as a standalone movie, if you'd never seen a Star Wars movie, because it's really cool that it sets the force up as this kind of mystical thing that you don't have any real connection to or really see in action other than this. This one guy who believes in it and kind of prays to it. And then you have Darth Vader comes in and he and he uses he is clearly using the force all over the place and kind of, oh, man, that that's what the force can do. Because at this point, we've seen, you know, what, seven movies already where everybody seems to be able to use the Force willy-nilly whenever they want. Uh, And so a little bit of the magic is deflated, at least for the audience.
0: Does Jyn do a Jedi mind trick when she holds her crystal and kind of closes her eyes when they're trying to get through the shield door? Is that, I mean, is that how you read that? Is that how you read that moment? It seemed like that was, I mean, would they have gotten through the shield door anyway if Jin had not closed her eyes and grabbed her crystal? Uh, And if so, why focus on it so intently?
1: I I read it as a character moment more that she was putting her faith in the force more than it was, you know, a change in the Imperial security protocols that was driven by the
2: force. You don't tell the force what to do. The force acts through you. They were always meant to never get through the blast shield doors. That's how the force works, right? <laughs> like, it's, that's that's how it works on the light side, right? Is that the light side of the force is the side of the force where you meet where you allow the universe's will to shine forth, right? And the dark side of the force is the side where like rage and anger and power and fear, right? Like, are are, are all make things happen. All right. You, dark, you take yeah. the force
3: and you bend it to your own selfish. Uh, selfish uh, goals, which include, by the way, making puns. Okay, I, I cannot have this conversation of the Force pass without noting that Darth Vader says, "Don't choke on your ambition, Krennic," and that is the first and hopefully only time we hear Darth
2: Vader make a pun. <laughs> I like I like punning Darth Vader because chill. Anakin's a little jerk, and so I appreciate that adult Darth Vader is also kind of a jerk. <laughs> it connects everything a little bit better. Chill, chill out. <laughs> Nice to meet you.
0: (laughs) The Iceman cometh on the lava planet. (laughs) Hold on, I have to
2: tie one off. Wait, no, that's wrong. (laughs) Uh, I uh, have a couple things to say.
0: weird echoes weird echoes in forest whitaker of vader right like with the mask that he pulls up to his face and the kind of the mechanical uh the mechanical stuff i think also his like suit the kind of imposing figure that he cuts in the suit he's he's supposed to be physically massive i think uh towering over other people and just just broad-shouldered and imposing
3: that i thought was more noise than signal Um, I mean, I think it was intentional, clearly, to uh, evoke Darth Vader, especially with the mask and the breathing sounds. But thematically, I'm not seeing a ton of resonance that connects uh, Guerrero with Darth Vader. Well,
1: he,
0: I mean, mean, this
1: this actually segues into a topic that I wanted to hit, which is the series and this movie's discussion of father figures. Because if there is any connection between Saw and Darth Vader, it's that they're both kind of either actual or surrogate. He was uh, Jin's surrogate father. Uh, so that? so that's about the only connection that that I really saw there
0: right um, and he is really. the, he was the and uh, vader is the biological father of uh, of luke and leia right like that that they right. uh, that they he um like what in this in this schema um darth vader is is to uh, aunt um uh, uncle and aunt oh come on Come on, they live on Tatooine. Peru,
2: Owen, Peru, and Lars.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, well, as uh, as uh, Hannibal is to uh, you know Forrest Whitaker, right? Like that. So they're they're sort of on opposite sides of the. They're on opposite sides of the sort of surrogate. Right,
2: it's Lars. It's Owen and La- it's it's Peru. It's Owen Lars and Peru Lars, right? Yeah. Amperu, Uncle Owen. Sorry, yeah. go
0: ahead. Uncle, o- yeah, Uncle Owen is what is the the familiar phrase that had just slipped slipped uh, slipped past my tongue. But he's, I mean, um, though there there's sort of different there's sort of different models of like adoptive family, right? Like because uh, on Tatooine, Luke is supposed to be hidden, and so he's really kept from anything exciting. He's uh, uh, obscure. He's calm. Um, they seem. Uh, uh, nurturing and sort of not particularly encouraging, uh, whereas as an adoptive father or as a surrogate father, Forest Whitaker is uh, you know abandoning her um, at sixteen because she's the best soldier uh, and is making uh, making uh, everyone else in his cadre uh, a little uneasy, being the uh, being the daughter of an uh, imperial um, collaborator, right? So he's, he's much more the sort of, uh, uh, tough love kind of fatherous training montage, uh, kind of father. I mean, the interesting thing to me about this in Star Wars is that it's usually fathers and sons, right? And that, that it's this sort of, uh, patriarchal line that is, that is important, at least until Ray. And it's, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, um, I think the most important one being that Felicity Jones does it very well. Uh it's nice to see these um it's nice to see a film being uh being anchored by a female lead who is uh an interesting character. Um but it's it's sort of uh, it's I don't know like there's so much emphasis in Star Wars on the line, right? The line of Anakin Skywalker uh that it it is a little bit odd um, that the whole thing blows up at the end, right? I'm I'm a little bit with the kids sitting behind you, Pete. It's like that's how you're going to end it. That's the way. Uh, that's the way this is going to go. Um, because there's no, you know, there's n- no line, right? It's not like Jin and Galen are going to like birth a, uh, a bunch of baby rogues.
2: Uh, but there is a line, right? Which is that we know that at the, by the time we get to either the Battle of Yavin or the Battle of Hoth, there's a rogue squadron, right? and and i think we can retcon that rogue squadron i mean i'm going to make this retcon that rogue squadron which is uh luke skywalker wedge antilles right and all those x-wing dudes uh that they named themselves as a tribute to the rogue one unit that stole the death star plans right that has become this kind of and the idea that the title rogue one is more similar to a title like mystery men, right? Where it's like the the title of the movie is the thing that the people in the movie become at the end of the movie, right? Like, finally, we're at the land before time. We know they don't do that. <laughs> no, that's not oh, how the, the Avengers, we you know. The, the Avengers. Avengers. We're the Avengers, right? Like, you're Rogue One. You've become legend. You've kind of transcended your individual limitations, and, and you've become something greater than that. That's a really good way um, to put it, yeah. yeah. But to, to go back
3: to this idea of, like, the, the parental lineage uh, or, or, or lack thereof, I think... Um, what we've commented throughout, uh, you know, our overviews and our podcasts about Star Wars is that there's a real distinct lack of um, what we would call the typical or very nurturing uh, parent-child relationships in Star Wars, right? I mean, you know, we see the surrogates and they have different um, levels of efficacy, and uh, you know, um, you know, being able to. Uh, allow their children to self-actualize or not self-actualize, but I think that's actually you know really crucial to Star Wars, right? And it's a, a lot of its appeal, right? Because everybody thinks, oh, my parents, you know, they don't get me, they don't let me do my thing, um, and, uh, and then you know when they sort of break away from their parents and find surrogate parents or they go venture out on their own, then they're able. to then uh, the heroes of these movies are able to self-actualize. Yeah, I mean,
0: there, there are a couple of ways of thinking about this. One is something Freud called the family romance, which is a fantasy that the child has, that the, that the parents aren't the actual parents, um, but that in fact there are awesome parents who are going to come and save the child from the the crappy day-to-day parents, right? Like, and the best example of this is Harry Potter, right? Like, I'm not uh, these horrible, you know, this horrible English family, they're not my real parents. I'm actually a wizard, uh, right? setting aside the the actual um uh setting aside the actual uh uh plot of Harry Potter right like that that's the the way that's the way it works the the other is sort of themes of of you know sort of abandonment vision quest growing up in the wilderness things like this and and from this point of view like child abandonment seems to be more the rule than the exception in the rule of uh, in the world of in the world of Star Wars though just to kind of fill out my point from earlier it, there there is an interesting inversion of Luke Skywalker in uh, Jin, uh, Jin's character, right? Because she's her real parents want her to be on the farm, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, and she ends up as a as a you know interplanetary space hero. Whereas Luke, you know, is sort of destined to be an interplanetary space hero, but uh, his surrogate parents want him to be uh, want him to be on the farm. Um, one yeah. one
1: thing to note, though, is that it's not so much child abandonment as its child kind of transfer, I guess, because I, I can't think of any deadbeats uh, in the Star Wars universe. Anybody who's not anybody who is orphaned because the parents just leave them, uh, you know, Darth Vader can't find his kids. And so that's why they end up because they're being hidden from him. Right. Uh, that's like a child protective
2: services situation. Right? Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, Darth Vader's like, "Oh, men have no rights in the child custody system. <laughs> <laughs> I will make the streets run red with the blood of the bureaucrats." <laughs> that's a very, that's the worst Darth Vader impression anyone has ever done in the history of the galaxy,
0: <laughs> uh, or any galaxy, even yeah. even the ones far, uh, even the ones far. Far away, um, a,
2: puny, a puny child welfare office is insignificant next to the power of the force, <laughs> sir. I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna uh, well,
0: sir, yeah, I mean, this, we're gonna
1: need to do a home visit uh, <laughs> or a Death Star visit, whatever, whatever we need to do. Yeah,
0: well, you know, you get the you get the feeling that those uh, uh, all those black clad uh, soldiers in the beginning of the of the film are or operatives or whatever they are are you know versatile and that they they are. They could search the house for uh, uh, for the wife and child uh, of, you know, Galen Erso, or they could uh, search the house for, you know, I don't know, uh, electrical outlets that aren't properly covered or other kinds of... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mr. Vader, do you, are your outlets covered? Uh, do you have any uh, open pools of
2: lava in your home?
0: <laughs> uh- <laughs> but, I mean,
2: it is it is funny to think about just how bad... Darth Vader is, and this goes back to what we talked about before, where the the sort of gray area existence of so many of the characters exists in this sharp, brutal contrast to the goodness or the badness of the four sensitive characters in other movies and and I think it, it comes back to I think one of the most important little shots in this movie is is the shot where Cassian kills his informant right right. right, right. Right, very early on, right, um, and it's 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 interesting because I mean, there's a lot of reasons. For one, if he were Force sensitive, he would now be dark side, right? Like you are not open to the light side of the Force if you go around killing people who haven't done anything wrong to you, right? Uh, but but this is idea of that like, he's introduced. As a character who is not really heroic in the uh, the Hollywood conventional sense, right? Whether he's heroic in the sort of ancient sense of somebody who does grand deeds is is a separate question. But this idea of like he's not really a good guy, right? Cassian, Uh, and and he's he's you know he's he's a murderer, and he's I mean he's a CIA guy, right? Sort of. He's he's a spy, and and he's a uh, and he's he's he doesn't respect human life, right? And and that the idea that he's one of the major I wouldn't say he's the protagonist of the movie, but certainly he's there for Jin to sort of regard, right? And she's the protagonist of the movie. Um just it's just interesting. The ethical questions that he faces are so different than a lot of the ethical questions or we face in regarding him are so different from something. I mean, think about Han shooting first is even so much more of a of a venal and morally uh upright thing to do, right? Because the Greedo was gonna kill him. I mean, it's not a question. Yeah. Right. Uh I mean, I mean, what do you guys think about that? That whole idea of like, we're at, we're, we have rebels now who murder, right? Yeah,
0: well, yeah, I mean, this this was a, a movie that seemed, I, I, you know, everyone dies in the end. It seems a little more upfront in in about the, the price of war, uh, you know, and and rather than ending rather than ending in a medal ceremony. I mean, it, it with the revelation of lead ends in a kind of triumphal. Uh, triumphal manner, I suppose, and you know my theater i don 't know if your theater did, but my theater definitely uh sort of erupted in, in Hoots and hollers when oh, when yeah. that happened, but like the main plot ends with uh w- with the um the uh, blowing up of the the planet of of you know kissing in front of the atomic bomb or not kissing i mean it's you know it's star wars it's largely a sexless universe and and uh you know <laughs> It's amazing that anyone gets born at all. I mean, I guess the force just conceives a lot of children uh, like Anakin (laughs) um, immaculately. Do
2: or do not, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Feel the force. You know Never this mind. is my,
0: my point is that this this Sorry. is a film that 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 seems to to want to pull fewer punches about the cost uh, about the cost of war yeah. uh, in terms of costing the lives of people we care about uh, and costing you know yeah. um, some of whom get to go gloriously and some of whom uh, just go in the course of of uh, in the course of operations i mean uh, one of the strong I I was kind of expecting this to be resolved uh in in a neat way and it wasn't. But the, the uh conversation between Jin and Cassian about like uh were you going to kill my father? I'm following orders. Um, even when the orders are wrong, then you're no better than a stormtrooper. You've had the luxury of of never having to serve anything greater than yourself in your life, right? Like this. This. I was expecting a sort of pat answer, and for the movie to come down on one side or the other uh, of that debate. And the the I think it's it's to the the credit of the writing and to the credit of the filmmaking team that that ends in in kind of a Nah. <laughs> you know, like
3: no, there's, a, there's a great meta exchange there. where Agentsus like, you can't talk your way out of this. And Cassian says coolly, "I don't have to." Yeah, right. Which yeah. is the, the movie is what, it, is what it's saying. Like, we don't have to fully rationalize all this. We're putting this out here. This is the dirty, messy business of war, and the ethics of this are complicated and often unclear. Um, this is why I feel like a lot of people are are describing this as the first "quote unquote" adult. Star Wars movie, right? And to your point, Matt, earlier about the meh, right? Lots of shades of gray. Yeah, um, it's not just like light side versus dark side. I, I'm a saint versus uh, I'm 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 pure evil. Um, and that is one of the many things that made this movie so satisfying.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I i picked the wrong I picked the wrong label to put on it with meh, which you know, uh, I didn't mean meh. I meant meh. <laughs> I,
2: I also love how many of the really minor characters that we get invested in before they bite it right like like my favorite is commander mustache do you guys remember you guys remember commander mustache
0: yes. commander mustache was was fantastic and so was yeah, his that mustache
2: wasn't great. And was he a X-wing fighter pilot or a Y-wing pilot? Think I think he forget. was. I think he was X-wing. I think he was Blue Team yeah. leader. I want to say right, blue, Yeah, and, and like it's like ha-ha, I'm here to get you. Ah, he's smiling. He's having fun. You know, he's like in the battle. He's fighting around, and then he just dies. <laughs> right, like, just blown up. Uh, and, and that it was like, oh no, not Commander Mustache. Right, like or Captain Mustache, Admiral Mustache. I'm going to posthumously promote him to Admiral Mustache.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the. The, I, was, I yeah. was
2: struck by the death
1: of the shuttle pilot, uh, played by Riz Ahmad because it was just kind of it just happened. There wasn't like a big build up. It was a relatively rare death in a Star Wars movie that didn't have of a major character that didn't have a big build up to it. Like he had, he had been kind of running around doing his thing with the communications. He had a couple good ideas, and I really liked the character. and Kind of got invested in his his story because he's he's our first Imperial defector, the first person that's like, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I got to go over to the other side. Uh, and he just gets killed with like a random grenade thrown inside his hatch, like you get the sense that the stormtrooper that threw it like didn't even know if anybody was in there, and was just you know we're in a battle there might be bad guys in there clear
0: like, yeah I'll it's it clearing yeah just sort of clearing the 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 uh, shuttle pad right yeah and and um, by the way can, he, yeah.
2: I was just gonna say, friggin' Shadebot Five Thousand goes out like Boromir, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> just gunned down, just
0: brutal. <laughs> Super. I mean, it's. I we may we may have to spend a second week talking about this film, uh, and uh, and talk a little bit about some of the intertextuality because I really thought Boromir when when Shadebot yeah. Five Thousand, uh, voiced <laughs> by Alan Tudyk, uh, yeah. fresh off his role in Moana. As the, uh, as the, uh, the rooster, right? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Really? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Hey, hey. The uh, hey, hey. The rooster uh, was for reference. The rooster doesn't talk in
2: any (laughs) poetry, as far as I can remember.
0: Um, (laughs) Maybe does. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, doing doing great work. And by the way, shadebot five thousand was Marvin the Paranoid Android from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, that's uh... with Chewbacca. Yeah, I guess uh I guess um Chewbacca is like shade bear 5000. <laughs> you know, um yeah, I I was about to say with the Shuttle Pilot going out with the, with the grenade, there were a number of those deaths including the final ones, the final uh, consequential ones. I well, I you know, no man is an island and and it's, you know, death is bad because it's bad for me and I cry about it. But the um uh the uh Uh, the final plot-wise consequential deaths, Um, it's uh, death is being enveloped in light, right? And in the case of a... uh in the case of the grenade, it's directional light. The light starts at one side of the screen. The character looks toward the light and then the light, the, ye- uh, I think usually yellow light just sort of envelops the, the entire screen for a second along with the sound effect. And that's because this is, you know, this is PG 13. You can't show a ton of gore. Uh, it, you know, and that's just a limitation of the, the kind of movie, the kind of movie that they're making, but it's all, you know, there, there, there's enough of them, um, getting kind of swallowed, uh, getting swallowed by the light, there's enough of these deaths that I think it's, it's worth, um, it's worth pointing out. Also, sometimes blasters kill you. Sometimes they don't kill you, uh, depending on where you're shot, I guess, like, do they have a set phasers to stun setting in the, uh, in the star Wars universe? They actually do, which is, uh,
3: in the very beginning of star Wars episode four, Leia gets stunned. Yeah. Leia gets stunned like
1: five ten minutes after the end of this movie.
0: Yeah. (laughs) um so that's uh yeah well wait is that does it happen does it follow right on because they got to deliver they have to deliver the the plans to the death star right like they're on
2: they don't it goes right from it it's on the corellian corvette uh, they are leaving
0: yeah, that's oh right, of course. The ship that take that takes off, secure the airlock. That's uh, oh yeah. wow, that's uh, and it's it happens right before. Um, I was happy, I
2: mean, expecting R two D two to come out and grab the plans and scoot them over to Princess Leia because yeah. he's on that ship. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's
0: unclear how
3: exactly they get you know from escaping Scarif. To um, being uh, shot at over Tatooine by Vader's storm, uh, Star Destroyer, but yeah. I guess we can fill an entire mo- make, an, make an entire movie. Yeah, uh, presumably
1: so they, so they just know, run hand. as
2: far as they can, as fast as they can, and they get caught on the outer rim, right, by Darth Vader.
1: But by, by the way, this movie puts an interesting polish on Leia's line where she says that this that her ship is on a diplomatic mission. <laughs> because it, it, it always kind of seemed like bullshit, but you weren't sure how much bullshit. <laughs> but no, it's just complete nonsense. Like she's actively running from a war zone. <laughs> it's like it's like the end of a five-hour police chase you crash through the crash through the uh, window of mcdonald's and you're like no I, I just like you know let my foot off the brake a little bit i have no <laughs> idea what
2: you guys are talking about <laughs> i'm going to work i don't know what you guys are doing yeah.
0: <laughs> well uh i think it's time to uh to call an end to, for this podcast to be enveloped in a burst of white light um guys what say we gather next week to continue overthinking rogue one I mean, you know, and, and we're just going to keep overthinking until all the thoughts are spent. Yeah.
3: I don't like this plan. I'm going rogue. I'm going to talk about Star Trek next week. Screw you guys. (laughs)
0: Uh, All right. We'll be back next week. And you know what? We're going to be back next week, uh, the day after Christmas, with more Rogue One. Thanks very much for listening. Please uh, join in in the discussion of this film on the show notes for this episode. You can find those uh, and find everything we do at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. On Star Trek The Force Awakens, um, Star Wars The Force Awakens. (laughs) To me. That's two times.